Would you pray with me? Father, we confess we are prone to wander. We are indeed needy. And yet, even as we heard this morning that you are merciful to seek out we who are needy, to rescue us from our place of despair, to welcome us as your very own and make us new creations. Would you speak to us through your word this morning that your church might be built up and encouraged, that your people might have a renewed hope in you, that you might receive much glory and praise from our time this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. We're going to bring our series in Luke to its conclusion, at least for the spring. And we plan, Lord willing, to be back in Luke in January. We've taken Luke in pieces, if you will. And so today we'll finish up the end of Luke chapter 10. The next couple of weeks we're going to uh, look a little at what it means for us as a church What does it mean when we say we are gospel-centered? And what effect does that have on our lives applied in the everyday? So we're going to look at that for a couple weeks. And then on June 6th, we'll begin our study uh, in the book of the the Psalms, which we've been in last summer. And then we'll pick up again uh, this summer as well. But for today, you can grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10, where we'll be. And as you're turning there, one of our core values as a church is worship. We celebrate together that God has revealed to us his glory in Christ Jesus, that our hearts then would overflow with gratitude, that our lips would spill forth praise, that our hands would be put to use offering sacrificial service to others in light of God's love for us in Christ, that all of our lives would be focused on and celebrate one thing, and that's Jesus The reason I bring up that value is because it touches a little bit on our text for today. Because worship is often a matter of priority. What is important to us? I had a pastor one time challenge his listeners, and I was in the room. And he asked them to look at how they spend their time, their talents, and their treasure. And the thing or things that consume the most of those consume the most time, consume the most energy, consume the most resources. Those things are the things that we truly worship. And and I tell you what, sitting in that room and hearing that challenge didn't feel very good. Earlier this past week, we had a brief family meeting where we looked at our calendar for the week. Many of you who uh, now have finished your finals week, and some of you, your final finals, um, you know this, this stress of when asked the question of, how are you? Your answer is busy. It's not really an answer to how you are, but what you are. This last week, we looked at our calendar as a family, and from like Monday of last week till Friday of this coming week, there was something on the calendar every day. Baseball, soccer, work responsibilities, family gatherings, There is not a day where there's not something already on the calendar. And part of why this is challenging for me and probably for you is that these things that fill up our calendar, the things that fill up yours, aren't bad things. In fact, many of them are are the exact opposite. They're actually really good things. They're necessary things and beneficial things. Some might argue, depending on what is on your calendar or mine, spiritually beneficial 
or, or even obedient things. So the question for us and the challenge for us often isn't one of good versus bad, but good versus best. And that's, I think, a little bit of what we see in the text today as well. So as we often struggle with priorities, we sometimes turn blessings into burdens, getting those things out of balance. But Jesus reminds us, while there may be many things, many good things, there's only one necessary thing. So let's look at the text where we'll find this today. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through the end of the chapter, verse 42. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word for us this morning. Here we meet two sisters with two contrasting approaches to life. We see in verses 41 and 42, Martha, sister number one, is described as anxious and troubled by many things. And Mary, sister number two, is described as the one who's chosen the good portion. Jesus calls the one necessary thing. So let's look at this text together. Luke says... Now, as they went on their way. Now, if you've been following with us in Luke, you'll remember that Luke doesn't always tie together the events of the life and ministry of Jesus chronologically, sometimes pulling from themes from multiple places where he's taught on a subject or about an idea. So this particular interaction doesn't necessarily happen chronologically right after this parable of the Good Samaritan that we read last week. Instead, we have in Luke 10 a a trio of teaching from Jesus. All three of these sections from Luke 10, 1 through 20, or 1 through, I guess, 24. And then the parable of the Good Samaritan last week, verses 24 to 37, and now the passage today. In each of these, with the return of the 72, with the lawyer seeking to justify himself, the guy looking for a loophole and what it means to love your neighbor... Jesus is exposing a a faulty priority list. And I think the same thing is here in this passage with these two sisters as well. What is more important, Jesus asked the 72, that the demons obey you or that your names are written in heaven? What is more important, Jesus asks the lawyer, that that you can check off your own boxes and feel like you're a good person? What's more important, that or actually being obedient to the command to love your neighbor? And here Jesus is kind of working a similar angle with these two sisters. And Luke doesn't tell us much about these two women, but John's gospel tells us that Mary and Martha are sisters who live in a town called Bethany, small town outside of Jerusalem. John also tells us they have a brother named Lazarus who dies and is brought back to life a little later in the gospel. So there's a significance here to this family. This isn't a kind of a a one-and-done story. They apparently love Jesus, 
and, and he loves them. At least that's the relationship that develops. Remember, Jesus spent years going from place to place, relying on the kindness and generosity of others, not sleeping in his own bed, on his own pillow. Can you imagine just for a second the joy of being welcomed into a familiar, comfortable place with good food and good company? Like we all know what that feels like, right? And and Luke tells us Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. It's Martha's house, which is important. She is responsible then to be the host. She's responsible to to lead out in showing hospitality. She's responsible then to entertain. This is a worthy and noble task and one that she seems to take up with joy. Now let me be super clear. To serve as a gracious host, to seek to show hospitality, particularly to those outside of your normal sphere, is a very good thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that one of the qualifications for someone who would seek to serve as an elder in a local church is that they are hospitable. So Martha seems to embrace the role of host here. What a gracious and kind thing to want to serve Jesus and his disciples in this way. And Mary, likely Martha's younger sister, her response to Jesus' arrival was to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching. Mary determined that the best thing she could do was just sit and listen to Jesus. Now, uh, one, as, as an aside, to sit at his feet is significant culturally because she was welcomed to sit at his feet as he taught, giving us a picture of this woman, Mary, being treated just like any other of his disciples. This was not commonplace culturally for women to be able to sit at the feet of prominent teachers amongst the crowd, and yet for Jesus, this is something he does with regularity. So here are these two sisters, as Luke describes them. And verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. This is Martha's reality, if you will. Martha's reality is one who takes things that are given to her as blessings to bless others, and they have become burdens. She takes the, the, the good and noble task of hospitality and service has now become a distraction, is the word that Luke uses. Now, we'll talk about what she's being distracted from in just a moment, but what I, what I want to highlight is this, that something that is otherwise good has become a burden and a roadblock for partaking and receiving something else. In fact, she's so distracted by the task at hand, she goes to tell Jesus what he should do. Look at, uh, we'll keep reading in verse 40. She was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, that is to Jesus, and said to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Jesus, can't you see that I've got work to do here, and I'm doing it by myself? Do you not care? Seems a little accusatory of the Lord, doesn't it? Don't you care that I'm I'm doing this by myself? I mean, after all, it's for you, Jesus. Now, Martha's words might give us pause, but I'm willing to bet. I'm not a betting man, but I'm willing to bet that you and I can find, if not similar words from our mouths, similar thoughts or feelings in our own minds and hearts. 
I'm putting in the hard work here. Why is it that they don't have to put in the same kind of work? I mean, I'd like to sit and relax and listen to your teaching too, Jesus. I like you. I care about you. I probably need to hear what you're saying, but somebody's got to prep the meal. Somebody's got to clean the dishes. If given a moment, I'm willing to bet that you can identify some of those same thoughts and feelings in your own hearts because we are often keenly aware of what immediately seems unfair to us. There's a little bit of martyr playing here, if I can say it that way. Don't you care that I've taken on this burden? But what's interesting is Martha's internal wrestle, if you will, immediately spills out of her mouth. She doesn't just keep this to herself. She goes and tells Jesus, don't you care that you're not helping or that she's not helping and you should tell her to help me. Tell my sister to help me. Now first, Mary's probably sitting right there. So there's, there's this awkward moment where she's like, do you not see she's doing anything? And Mary's like, hello, I'm, I'm right here. Thank you for the passive-aggressive Midwestern, don't talk to me, talk to someone else about me. But then she turns that around and goes full-on, not passive-aggressive, just regular-aggressive, and says, tell her to help me. See, it's a frustration with Mary for not helping but, but I don't know if you catch this, it's actually more of a frustration with Jesus for not doing anything about it. He's showing this lack of care, at least in Martha's mind, that Mary doesn't want to help. See, the outburst, I think, is telling. It's exposing something in Martha that she values, hard work, doing what's right, fulfilling your responsibilities, which, again, to be clear, are good things but they seem to be ranking a little more highly on the priority list than they ought. So there's the caution here for us that there are many things, there are good things, there are honorable things, there are godly things that can take too prominent a place in our minds and hearts. That the things that the Lord gives, good gifts, the things he gives to bless us so that we might bless others now become burdens that weigh us down. If we were to do a little self-evaluation, what do our frustrations and our grumblings tell us about what is high up on our priority list? What are the good things that tend to rise up in our minds and kind of crowd out our view of other things? Is it family or work? Is there a particular conviction or discipline and how do we know if, if good things are crowding out better things? Well, what are the things that drive our anxieties, that drive our fears? What are the things that make us anxious and troubled? There are things, I think, that then occupy our attention. These things then expose where our hearts might be bent toward worship. Verse 42, but one thing is necessary, Jesus responds. Mary has chosen the good portion. If Martha's reality was one of anxiety and fear, Mary's reality is one of simple listening, choosing the good portion. Now, what is that good portion? I think is revealed in verse 39. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. At its simplest application, the good portion, the best way for Mary to spend her time in that moment was to sit at Jesus' feet and listen. 
Now I want us to notice though, there's what Jesus says and what he doesn't say. He doesn't say Mary did the good thing, Martha did the bad thing. He didn't say that. He doesn't look at Martha and say, you should just stop what you're doing and listen. He doesn't say that. Instead, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You might find it odd, because we don't use this kind of approach in our own language, in our own culture. But in Jewish culture, the repeated name shows a sign of tenderness. It happens over and over again in the scriptures. Many times when someone is dressed with a double name, the Lord speaks to Moses from the burning bush. Moses, Moses. The Lord calls to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Or to Saul on the road. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's a sign of affection and tenderness, which I think is fascinating because Martha just gets done publicly rebuking Jesus. And he responds with tenderness. Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen a good thing. It's almost like Jesus is saying, Martha, you know this is a good thing. You know it's a good thing to listen. In fact, you know she needs this. It's good for her to sit and listen to me. It's a good thing that she's chosen. It cannot and should not be taken away from her. Even for another good thing, like serving. Because although service is good, that's not what I'm inviting her to in this moment. And so Jesus, with compassion, reminds Martha of the value, the difference in priority that it's good for Mary and, by extension, probably good for her as well. Now, we aren't told how the rest of the conversation goes. Does, does Martha hang her head and kind of slink back to the, the room where she was working? Does she tear up realizing she just chastised the Messiah? Does she pull off her apron and put down her towel the tools of her work that are likely happening here and just sit down for a moment next to Mary and listen to Jesus? We don't know. But what Jesus is so graciously highlighting for Mary and for Martha, for anyone else who's in the room at the moment, and for us as we read this account, is what we read in verse 42. But one thing is necessary. There's lots of worthy, worthwhile valuable things. Family being one of them. Even something as simple as developing a skill or an ability, studying hard for those of you who are in school in order to build self-discipline. Why? So that you might be used by God in service to others in some way. There are many virtuous and noble pursuits worthy of your time, worthy of your energy, worthy of your focus, Things like building into your community in which you live and work. Working to serve your neighbors. It's it's worthwhile. Bringing a biblical worldview to bear and addressing things like the injustice you see around you. Injecting grace and mercy into the lives of people who are made in the image and likeness of God and who live in a culture that has really little concept of what grace and mercy really is all about. There are godly and righteous missions and commands even 
to care for the widow and the orphan, to show hospitality to the stranger and the outcast, to bring the gospel to those farthest from Jesus. And I mean to minimize none of those good things. But they come after, or rather they come through Jesus. So if we're doing the the self-diagnostic of the things that drive our fears and our anxieties, can we listen and hear, Martha, Martha, Jake, Jake, Kyle, Kyle. Can we hear this? You are anxious and troubled about many things. And I go, yep, that's me too. Your hearts are likely overly attached to some of those things, and that's producing in you fear and anxiety and worry. You've unhitched your wagon, uh, the wagon of your life from its source. So that is, while all these things might be important, There's only one that's necessary. Like the conversation with the 72 and the conversation with this expert of the law. This is one way we're in danger of missing Jesus. Being caught up in serving him or even just managing the good things he puts in our lives and calls us to do at the expense of being with him, of hearing from him, of knowing him. We need to ask this question all the time. Why do we study and read God's Word? Not because we're trying to build up this library of great knowledge or reach some kind of intellectual benchmark. Why do we read and study God's Word? So we can be made holy by the truth of God's Word as it sanctifies us. Why do we offer our prayers to God? Not so that we can make our case to Him because we have to convince Him to act because maybe He doesn't care. No, we we do that to lay hold of his willingness, his desire to provide for us out of his abundance and his great love for us. That's why we do it. Why would we sit and listen in quiet to our Lord? Not so that we can reach some sort of enlightenment or to pretend that the calling on our lives is less important, but because what he's called us to is extremely important. And if we have any hope of walking in the life that he's called us to, that we need to be found in Jesus as our source. Jesus' response here to these women moves it outside of the realm of mere actions into the realm of attitude and motivation. I believe this interaction with these two sisters is primarily about just that. We get caught up in the doing, which is important, but we can't forget that the doing flows from the believing. And Jesus is calling Martha and us back to a little gospel 101. Where is your source of encouragement? Where's your source of strength? What do you actually believe? Because it's one thing in the context of, of, of serving and hospitality and kind of being challenged on that. But, but let me ask, is God still good if the pregnancy test comes back negative again? Is God still good when the oncology test comes back positive this time? Does the fridge being empty or full change your level of anxiety? Or what about the numbers in your bank account? What happens when the comma disappears on the balance line? Does God still provide then or is it up to you now? What about when your gift that is offered is not received well? or when your generosity is not reciprocated, or when you work really hard and someone else gets the credit. 
See, more than the things themselves, Jesus is saying, all these things are important. They're not, they're not inherently bad, but one thing is necessary. He's calling us back to himself. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, but whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had in, in my life, we're not going to get into all of Paul's life, but he goes, doesn't matter, whatever it is, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. In comparison, it's loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Many things are, are worthy and beneficial and good, but only one thing, Jesus says, is necessary. I want to be careful here to not be too heavy-handed. I don't want to lay on any, anyone here guilt on top of the burdens that you might be carrying. But my hope this morning is to gently hopefully following the example of Jesus, to gently shine a little light on the dark places that still reside around our heart, that drive our fears and anxieties. Because we are so often burdened by, by many things. Some things seem to linger, and we are tasked with carrying heavy weights for a long time. That, that's reality. Some things come out of nowhere, punch us in the mouth, and then disappear as quickly as they showed up. And we're like, what just happened? And everything in between. And we so easily get our priorities out of, out of whack. And that leads us to all sorts of worry and fear and anxiety. It fuels in us uh, all, all kinds of desiring to work and toil for things that, that ultimately don't satisfy and things we can't really ever attain. In many ways, the last 18 months uh, has been a reckoning of sorts for each of our hearts exposing in us the things that really drive and motivate us, showing us what do we believe is really important. And in the midst of this kind of reality for us, our reality, there's this gentle call from Jesus to stop for a moment and to see, well, there might be lots and lots of work to do. One thing we can do is sit at Jesus' feet and listen as he speaks to us about the, the holiness and goodness of God as our Father, as he reminds us of his grace to us, that he's the one who comes to us, meets us where we are, gives us his own life to redeem us, that he is the one upholding the universe and our beating hearts by the word of his own power. Then I, I hope, I think we'll see, like Mary, that perhaps while there is much to do, there is nothing we could do better than to lay down our worries knowing that he cares for us and listen as he reminds us of the things that are foundational for us, the, the things that are most important, the things that are necessary. That Jesus came to rescue sinners like us and that's one thing we can't neglect. Would you pray with me?
Father, as the, as the hymn we sang says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We don't need to remind you of our frailties, of our weakness, of our need. And yet it's in that place of need where we find you meet us with more mercy and grace than we could ever exhaust. Would you be kind, Holy Spirit, to expose in us the areas of fear and anxiety and worry Would you meet us in those places with your mercy? That the confession of our, of our sin and areas of unbelief would not be scary, but would be freeing as we find that you are enough for us. Would you encourage our hearts as we come to the communion table, as we're reminded tangibly of your love for us in Christ Jesus. That you have gone all the way to rescue and restore a broken people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.